You are listening to a message from Victory Alabang. Get the latest updates by visiting victoryalabang.org or like us on facebook.com slash victoryalabang. We're on the 11th week of our series called Redefined. Again, why Redefined? Because in Matthew 5.17, Jesus said, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The word fulfill means that Jesus did not only accomplish and obey the law, but Jesus brought out the full meaning and the true intent of the law, as opposed to what? Jesus is making a contrast between the pharisaical interpretation of the law with Jesus' fulfillment of the law's true intent. In other words, one of the other things Jesus was making a contrast is showing the difference between the Pharisees' hypocritical and legalistic righteousness versus authentic righteousness that comes by faith in Christ and that actually spring from the heart. Righteousness is first inward before it is outward. We will be spending time in Matthew 7 where Jesus thought so much, a big deal about fixing the inside before you fix the outside. Get your heart right first before we try to attempt to change the outside. Religion has the tendency to focus on outward appearance. But God is concerned about our hearts. Religion is always about just duties and outward compliance, looking good, looking spiritual. But true Christianity springs from a relationship with God. We're not here to impress, man. Even our desire to hold this homiletical skill we will develop is not to impress people. We already know the Bible says you can be the most eloquent speaker. If you have not love, you're just a clanging symbol. You are nothing because God is not impressed by our homily. Now, of course, in communication is vital, so we still need to develop, but it is never to impress people. It is bringing from a desire, God, I want to honor you with my life. This is what you called me to do. I want to make sure I do it with a spirit of excellence. So quick review so far of what we've covered. We've covered chapter 5, uh, eight topics and three sections. First section deals with the Christian character. We learn, We look into the Beatitudes. Again, these are the things that are of the heart. Second section is Christian's influence when we look at the salt and light passage. Jesus expects us as Christians to be salt and light in this world. And third section is Christian's righteousness. Jesus is making a contrast between hypocritical righteousness and authentic righteousness that is again from the heart. Chapter 6 is the Christian motivation. We said that if we can summarize all of chapter 6 in the two words, it would be God first. That's what the theme of the entire Matthew chapter 6 is. So in verse 1 to 18 of Matthew 6, we look at Christian's motivation in relation to its worship or spiritual disciplines. We look at giving, praying, fasting. Two weeks ago, verse 9 to 15, last week, we look at the Lord's Prayer. Last Sunday, as a model prayer that springs again from a relationship with God, not, uh, not a formal prayer, not a formulaic prayer. That's why we're exhorted when we pray to pray our Father. It did not tell us uh, what you should pray, but how you should pray. Again, uh, the essence of true Christianity is always about pleasing God. That is 
anchored on our relationship with Jesus. Today, week 11, we're looking at the Christian's motivation as it relates to God and our possessions. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to verse 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Father, we pray for your divine revelation and insight in terms of how we manage wealth. Lord, that we would use it to bring honor and glory to you. That, Lord, that we would not be enslaved by it, but we would use it as a tool for your glory, for the advancement of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone say, Amen. Again, today we're looking at the Christian's motivation as it relates to God and possession. If we summarize this entire passage, it's God first and wealth second if, if we use wealth in the right way. So that the theme of our entire text is the importance of laying up treasures in heaven as opposed to laying up treasure or amassing or hoarding wealth here on earth. The question now is, what is there in this passage for Jesus to redefine? Because we're trying to connect this with our theme. Jesus is redefining what should be our proper perspective about wealth as opposed to the Pharisees' perception or perspective about wealth. In Luke 16, we see, so this is a parallel passage from the Matthew chapter 6 that we read. It said, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. What's the next verse? It's a commentary about the Pharisees. Why does Jesus need to redefine it? Because the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things and they ridiculed and they make sport of him. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men. You are those who wants to look yourself good in the eyes of people. These are your primary concern. But God knows your hearts for what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. In fact, I kind of got, uh, I don't know if I have a version here of contemporary English version, but Jesus told them, you are always making yourselves look good. And basic Bible English added this phrase, in the eyes of men. But God sees what is in your heart. The things that most people think are important are worthless as far as God is concerned. This is a class of values. When you have mentors that teaches you values, that's why we always say values are not neutral. They either glorify God or they dishonor God. There are humanistic values. There are godly values. Truth will always lead to freedom. Humanistic values will always lead to bondage and misery. So it's crucial that we grasp a biblical or a godly or a heavenly perspective or value concerning money. 
Obviously, the Pharisees use religion to enrich themselves. There's no question about this. Jesus warned against the sin of covetousness, idolatry, greed, and its sad consequences. Materialism can enslave both the heart, it can enslave our minds, it can enslave our will, as we will look as we unpack this verse in a moment. If we put earthly gain above heavenly investment, this would lead to tragic results. And one of the far greater tragedy is not just losing your treasure, but losing your own soul. In Mark chapter 8, it says, For what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Other versions, rendition of the Bible says, Is anything worth more than your soul? Nothing. Not a car, not another business deal. Don't exchange your soul for something that's temporary. Because there will be eternal consequences for our choices. In the Message Bible, what could you ever trade your soul for? Once you put a price tag on yourself, it doesn't matter how expensive you think you are, the world will call it. The world will try its best to lure you. And to buy you. So what exactly does it mean to store up for yourselves treasure in heaven? It means for us to use everything we have. Our time, our talent, and our treasures really for the glory of God. So when in essence when we talk about storing up treasures for ourselves. We measure life. Not by the riches, the false riches of this life, but by the true riches of the kingdom of God. Now, let me tell you a quick story about this man is probably familiar to many of you, once considered the richest man in the United States. He's a billionaire businessman, an investor, a film producer, a film director, an aviator. He's no other than Howard Hughes. Worth $2.5 billion at his death, he was once the richest man in the United States. He owned a private fleet of jets, hotels, and casinos. When asked to claim his body, his nearest relative, a distant cousin, exclaimed, Is this Mr. Hughes? He had spent the last 15 years of his life a drug addict. Too weak to even administer the shots to himself. His 6'4 frame had shrunk to 6'1", and he weighed only 90 pounds. Can you imagine being 6'1 and 90 pounds that is for a small girl, you know, the weight of a small girl. Not a single acquaintance or relative mourned his death. According, this is according to Time magazine. The only honor he received was a moment of silence in his Las Vegas casinos. Time magazine put it this way. Howard Hughes' death was commemorated in Las Vegas by a minute of silence. Casinos fell silent. Housewives stood uncomfortable, clutching their paper cups full of coins and slot machines. The blackjack games paused, and at the crap tables, the stickmen cradled the dice in the crook of their wooden wands. Then a pit boss looked at his watch, leaned forward, and whispered, Okay, roll the dice. He's had his minute. The story of Howard Hughes is one of the most tragic stories. And the only thing that I can think of is that verse that says, What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeit or loses his very self? It reminds me of the parable Jesus shared about the rich fool in Luke chapter 12, verse 16 to 21. 
And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. Do you know that there are actually people whose problem is they don't know where to put their money? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns. I'll build larger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have, whose will they be? In another version, it says, you fool. NIV says, you know, it is a foolish thing to invest on the things of this life that will perish. The things that we value today that seems like top of the line will become obsolete in the days to come. Information doubles every two years or something like that. The memories of your phone that was two gigabyte, man, that was like awesome. Today it's 256 just for your phone and you could expand and there's no telling what more will come out. Do you know what verse 15 says prior to this verse? Because we read only verse 16. This is the best way to capture this. It says in verse 15, he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Big deal. We have it today. If we put our hope in them, they are false security, full sense of security. Jesus warned against the sin and the sad consequence of greed, materialism, idolatry, covetousness. Let me show you now, as we look into the text, three ways to ensure we store up treasures in heaven. There are three diagnostics I want to bring out before you. And we need to have the right answers to these questions to ensure that we're actually laying treasures in heaven. First question is, where is your heart? Because money, treasure, this is all about a heart issue. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Will your tr- heart be on earth or heaven? Will you set your heart on temporary things or eternal things? This is a decision of the heart. Each of us will have to make this decision in our lives. The second question is, how is your vision? Because scripture talks about healthy eyes or bad eyes. This is a decision of our minds. We have to rationalize and make the wise decision. And who do you serve? Because we cannot serve two masters. Either we serve God or money. This is a decision of our will. And whatever decision we make will have serious eternal consequences. Let's go to the first one. Where is your heart? Again, Jesus states, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, their heart will be also. Jesus make it very clear that one of the reasons why it's a foolish thing to invest or live for the material things of this world is because they are all going to perish. Material things will not last. Fabrics were treasured by the Jews, but moth come and eat it up. The other day we were talking about, uh, Pastor Ariel was sharing his story about how he was given this, or either he bought it, he made a major investment in buying this piña barong. 
cloth. Wow, he kept it for a very special occasion. He said he kept it, he even covered it with plastic. And when the moment time that he will need it, when he pulled it, it's eaten by moths. What about rust? Rust ruins metal. We know that. Somebody told me I didn't get a chance to talk to Lorjan. Lorjan is one of our a very faithful ushers here, an outdoors man. Ada was showing me, they went diving their collectors of watches. I'll not tell you the specific brands. <laughs> but they're into this watch collecting. But this is one particular brand that is a diver's watch. It's ought to be reliable, right? But I guess maybe, you know, sometimes you get it fixed, but it, they failed to, I think, put the casket or to seal, put the sealant, but just close it. So they went swimming, and then what happened? Water came, went into that watch. He, I think he sat on it for a few days, few weeks, because Pastor Ada showed me the picture of the watch after it was ruined by rust. Rust ruins metal. And thieves steal riches. Have anybody here, have had somebody stole any of your treasures or precious items? My wife and I, we were newly married. You know, my wife is of Chinese descent, although Filipina. So in a Chinese tradition, for women, most of the gifts are dowry and jewelry. So she had this thing so special. We lived in this beautiful house in San Juan near Alex III. We didn't know there were other people whose ambition in life is to watch us and make sure when we are not there, they would go in and break in into our house. They did break in into our house and stole everything that Gigi had, all the wealth she had. So that left me the responsibility to start <laughs> piling up, back up. That's right. But most of you might have, maybe you have your car uh, broken and something was stolen, maybe a computer. You know how, how that goes. When we were uh, having our uh, brand new church in Malate, and man, you know, we've always believed God for the best piano. So we took the time. I went to Singapore. I bought the piano. I bought the best case because it was anniversary. We have the greatest celebration because we have the most awesome Roland piano. We went for lunch. When we came back to the car, it's broken. It's gone. Somebody stole it. But I'll tell you, the treasures used for God's glory is invested in heaven where it will last eternally. Amen? It will last forever. Verse 21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The way people use wealth, how you use wealth, is an indication of the condition of your heart because where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Whatever occupies our thoughts, desires, and time, that's our treasure. If our heart is set on things of this earth, we will be busy about laying up treasures here on earth. Guard your heart. We are exhorted to guard our hearts. What we treasure the most can control us. In uh, Proverbs 4, verse 23, it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. In Colossians 3.1, we are exhorted, since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts, your affection on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds, heart and mind on things above, not on earthly things. I want to clarify a very important point to you. Is it wrong to store wealth on earth? The answer is yes and no depending on your motive. Remember, Matthew 6 is about motives. 
Is it for God? Is it for yourself? Proverbs 13, 11 says, Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. It talks about saving. Saving is a godly concept. You don't want to leave problems to your children one day. You want to make sure you have reserve for emergency. You, you can be a blessing on occasions where there are needs. You cannot just believe God for your own needs to be met all the time. Amen? So it's okay to have abundance. So you could be generous on every occasion. Proverbs 13, 22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. Let me first comment on the first one. It's our responsibility to leave a legacy and inheritance to our children. But also, this is a warning that people who hoard wealth, it'll be tragic because they're only going to pass it on to someone else. Hopefully to righteous people who manage wealth wisely. In Genesis 41, God gave Joseph wisdom to store up food for seven years in advance of the famine that was going to come. So storing up is not a bad thing. Matthew 25, 14 to 30, Jesus talked about investing our money wisely in the parable of the talents. So in light of Scripture, Matthew 6 cannot be a blanket prohibition. It is how we use and steward these resources. Amen? So it's okay to be very wealthy. It's okay to be very blessed. Genesis 12 says, I will bless you. I will make your name great so you can be a blessing. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians that I will make you rich in every way. So you can be generous on every occasion. So do not be intimidated by wealth. The important thing is your heart's not in it. There is nothing wrong to have possessions as long as possessions don't have you. Do not let Money control you. You control money and let money serve God. Amen? That should be our attitude towards money. In contrast, again, let me show you the comparison. Treasure on earth, moth eats it, rust corrodes it, thieves break in and steal it. But there's another one I put there, 1 Peter 1, 4, because it says, I wish I could read to you verse 3 to complete the context, but let me just read to you verse 4. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. So treasures in heaven never perish. It never spoil. It never fade. Treasures on earth is temporary and treasures on earth is eternal. So acts of obedience to God labored in heaven are not susceptible to decay, to destruction, or theft. Treasure used for God's glory is invested in heaven. Will it will last forever. Amen? It will last for eternity. Now, you heard it said, you can take it with you, but you can send it ahead. Take it from the great men who have gone ahead of us. John Wesley said, I value all things only by the price they shall gain in eternity. Many of us try to pursue success today. Here's a good question to ask yourself. The things that you're pursuing, what is that in light of eternity? Because they will have implications for eternity. Don't waste your times on things that will not matter for eternity. Invest on things that will send your treasure ahead of you. David Livingstone said, I place no value on anything I possess except in relation to the kingdom of God. Because the world and its desires will pass away, but God's kingdom will remain. Amen? Jim Elliot said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep. Everything you have, you will all lose it. But you gain what you 
cannot lose if you give it away for the kingdom of God. Amen? If you invest it for God's kingdom. Second is how is your vision? How is your vision? Matthew 6, 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eyes is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? King James Version uses the word single eye. The light is the body in the eye. Is Therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. The Message Bible uses windows. Your eyes are windows into your body. If you open your eyes wide in wonder and belief, your body fills up with light. This passage compels us to ask the very question we just showed you. How is your vision, more particularly your spiritual vision? Do we clearly see what God wants us to do and to see things from God's perspective, from God's point of view? Your eye, it says there, is the light, is the lamp, the light, and the window into our body. It means that through our eyes, the body receives light. Can you imagine if the only doorway of light into your house is your window and you close it, everything will be dark. It is through the eyes that body receives light, allowing it to see clearly. And the eye here speaks of our outlook in life. In the Old Testament, the eye denotes the direction of a person's life. A pure eye focuses on God, allowing light into a person's soul so we can serve God wholeheartedly. While an evil eye, by the way, King James used the word single eye. Single eye is one that's fixed on spiritual and eternal significance of things. He looks at it from the point of view of eternity. Where an evil eye represents materialism, greed, and covetousness, this is what the Bible calls last of the eyes. He shuts out the light and is in spiritual darkness. Evil eye here suggests sinful outlook or double vision as opposed to single eye. What is a double vision? It's a man who is trying to serve God but is distracted by materialism. At the same time, it leads to gloom, it leads to misery and darkness. Jesus is calling us to undivided loyalty and devotion that our eyes fix only on Him. In 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Because what is unseen is eternal. The real reality I know this is real. You can touch this speaker. You can touch this water. This is real because we say we can fix it. But the greater reality is spiritual reality. It's just that we cannot see it now. Message Bible says there's far more here than meets the eye. The things we see now are here today, gone tomorrow. But the things we can see now will last forever. First John 2, 15 to 17 Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in possessions is not from the Father but from the world. And the world is passing away along with his desires, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So where is your focus? The heroes of old fix their eyes on a better inheritance. Every one of those people died. We know that. But they still had faith even though they had not received what they had been promised. They were glad just to see things far away. And they agreed that they were only strangers and foreigners on this earth. When people talk this way, it's clear that they are looking. 
Their eyes is fixed to a place they call their own. If they had been talking about land where they have once lived, they could have gone back at any time. But if they were looking forward to a better home in heaven, a better inheritance, that's why God wasn't ashamed for them to call Him their God. He even built a city for them. Bible scholar and expositor James Boy said, How is your vision? Do you see spiritual things clearly or is your vision of God and His will for your life clouded by spiritual cataracts or nearsightedness brought on by unhealthy preoccupation with things? I'm convinced that this is true for many Christians, particularly those living in the midst of Western affluence. Of course, he's speaking from Western context, but this speaks affluence in general. Let's go to the third question is, who do you serve? Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Contemporary English version says, you cannot be the slave of two masters. This is a totally different perspective here. You cannot serve two masters, but on the other hand, you cannot be a slave of two masters. Only one will take possession of you. You will like one more than the other or be more loyal to one than the other. You cannot serve both God and money. In fact, very clearly, all throughout Scripture, again, we're just going to look at three. One of the most important decisions we'll ever make is to only choose one master in our lives. James 4, 4 says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred to our God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world, talking about embracing the values of this world, becomes an enemy of God. Joshua 24, 15. If serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Stop wavering between two opinions. Choose for yourself whether God your father served beyond the river, the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you're living about us for me and my household. Our decision is we are going to serve the Lord. 1 Kings 18, 21, Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. If Baal is God, follow Him. But the people said nothing. We are forced to make a decision. A decision not to make a decision is a decision in itself. You have made your choice. Amen? The Bible, again, let me clear this. The Bible does not condemn the possession of wealth. In fact, God wants us to be blessed so we could be a blessing. What Jesus is warning us is against materialism, the love of money, and the wrong use of wealth. 1 Timothy 6, 9-10 says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, it did not say money is the root of all evil. Money is a neutral matter. It's not evil. It can be used for good or evil. But it's the love, the lust, the hoarding, the craving for money that makes it evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. 1 Timothy 6, 17-19 says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to be arrogant, not to be proud, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. How does the Bible describe riches? Uncertain. You cannot put your hope. We prayed for people in Texas. 
They are probably the most secure. They probably have nice trucks, man. And along with that, they have all their armada of guns as well, right? But man, have you seen those tornadoes that blow up houses? You think you have the most secure real estate because you are in the best part of the city. You have it all together. You have investments only to find out, you know, stock market get crash. It's very difficult to put your hope in these things. Should we continue to insurance and say, oh, so these are part of Christian stewardship, but we cannot put our entire hope. If God takes it, wills that it takes away, our hope is in Jesus, not in these things. Amen? They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation. As you do good to people, as you are rich in good works, generous, ready to share, you're storing up riches in heaven as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. That doesn't mean, you know, I'll just be like this forever because again, if all you're asking from God is all the only the things that you need, that's also selfish. You need to believe God and invoke the covenant, the Abrahamic covenant in your life to be blessed, overflowing so you could be a blessing. Amen? Not just to pay your own bills. Be content with what you have, but keep trusting the Lord. Seek first His kingdom. I will not talk about that because that will be for next week. Why do you have to be content? God said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Again, money may seem like the answer to everything, but in truth, it, it is not. Because money can't buy you peace. It can buy you health. It can buy you respect. Money, in fact, is a ruthless master. Gallup Paul revealed 64% of all couples argue over money issues. 54% of all divorces are over money issues. This makes it a leading cause of all divorces. This is why we have to guard our hearts against this. In closing, I'll just use this quote from John Calvin. Where riches hold dominion of the heart, God has lost his authority. This is the question before you. Who is your master? Who do you serve? Do your possession own you and you serve them or does God own you and you serve him with all you are and all you have? Do you have the right answers? Where is your heart? Transfer your treasure to heaven, not here on earth. How is your vision? Set your heights on the eternal, not on the temporal. Who do you serve? The wisest and the best choice is serve God only. Guys, I think this is a no-brainer as I close with this. The choice is very obvious. Father, thank you that you care so much for us. You love us so much. You do not only love us in this present life. You do not only bless us in this present life. But Lord, you want to give us hope in a future. Lord, you have eternity in mind for us. Lord, we only live temporary lives here on earth. Maybe at most 80, 90, we have the strength and the energy. A hundred, if we're really that fortunate. Eventually, Lord God, we will face eternity. And it is my prayer, Lord God, that these teachings today, we... Lord God, take this very seriously because the decisions we make today will have implications for our future. Lord, I pray that we would make the wisest and the best choice to choose life instead of death. 
light instead of darkness, freedom instead of bondage, righteousness instead of sin, that we would be the sheep instead of the goat, that we would choose the narrow way, the unpopular way that leads to life, that we would spend eternity with you, experience your blessings in our lives. Lord, I just pray that, Lord God, you give us grace to receive these truths in our lives today. We give you praise.